0: Welcome to the Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Francis, and we got a lot to talk about today. I know it's the first one, but we, oh boy, yesterday was a doozy. Um, with The riots at the Capitol yesterday, that was too much. Um, but I have, I have a couple things to say about it. And so, but I have basically two things to say about it. I have thoughts on, first, the riots themselves, which is one, one thing. Left will probably like it. Left-wingers will probably be like, this is awesome. But then I have uh, I have thoughts on the response to it and who responded, how they responded, and why they responded. So without further ado, let's uh, let's talk about the what happened yesterday. So yesterday, if you are living under a rock, uh, Donald Trump got up and spoke at the Save America rally, which cool. You know that's a cool, good for speaking. Uh, You good for speaking your mind. You're leaving office. That's cool. But then he didn't realize who he was speaking to. He didn't realize that the people who were idolizing him were in the audience. And the people who would move mountains to have him back in office and people who would do anything for him were in the audience. And I don't think Donald Trump realized the amount of uh, idolization that they had for him. And I don't think he realized the monster he'd created on the far right. A lot of these people... Just regular people, they call themselves patriots. I don't think so. If you have a confederate flag, that's that's traitorous, homie. Um, I don't think that's patriotic at all. If you have an American flag, you're a patriot. If you have a Trump flag, you're trying to make a whole new nation. But it, it's if you're waving the, the American flag, you're a patriot. There were, there were a lot of patriots there. Um, a lot of them were in the background speaking. I saw this one Twitter video of a man condemning... The rioting and condemning the looting, telling people to stop, getting people to stop. And that was awesome. But a lot of these people were just too jacked up. They didn't think that... I don't think Donald Trump thought that it could happen to him. I, thought he, I think Donald Trump thought that this was a thing the radical left did that the right didn't have to worry about. And he was wrong. Oh boy, was he wrong. I was wrong too. I think I... Um, I used to talk about this. I used to say that I don't think the right, although they have several, will take up arms. I don't think they would They would do this. They value law and order too much. I don't think they organize and protest violently. Uh, I was thinking about the, um, the riot, not the, the protest in Richmond, which I went to. The, gun, the pro-gun protest in Richmond last winter, um, about a year ago. And that was incredible. I mean, there was so many people, and they picked up all the trash, and they left my city cleaner than they had found it. And that was awesome. That's exactly how a protest should be. But then, the summer happened. And the riots, the Black Lives Matter riots happened. And I think something changed in the right, and they became very reactionary. And they said, oh, you know, you're going to play this game? You're going to play the the destroy my city? Fine. Let's play this game. But I don't think the leaders knew it. I don't think the leaders saw this coming. They were just like, oh, yeah, they're all talk. I mean, we'll talk to them. They'll demonstrate, and then they'll go home. No. I don't think people on the right realized that everyone's the same. I don't think people on the right realized that we're all Americans, but we're all people, first and foremost. And people are not that different. Whether you're on the far right or the far left, you are probably the same person as someone on the other side. So, and even me, more of a right winger. I wouldn't. I'm. I'm a Christian first, but as more of a um, someone who leans conservative, I was. I think I would have agreed that I saw the. I saw the. Um, I was wrong because I saw the uh, speech. I watched Donald Trump's speech from my house, and I was like, Oh, yeah interesting, this this would get me fired up if I was there, but I didn't think much of it. I go and record part of this podcast, which will come later, and then I come back and I'm like, whoa, this, this is bigger than I thought, this is way bigger than I thought, and I had no idea this was, this was going to be what it became. I I underestimated the right, I said, nah, I mean, they, they don't take up arms, they, they value law and order. I was wrong, and I think everyone else was wrong too, and I was surprised, and so I think I, I will be more cautious later on, and, and I will admit where I'm wrong, and I was wrong, but that being said, there was the riots, which were atrocious, disgusting, and should not have happened, and then there's the reaction to the riots, and the less reaction was just as disgusting because I watched them all summer defend the riots that which destroyed my city. I live in Richmond, Virginia, and I watched them destroy my city. I watched my favorite restaurants boarded up and put BLM over their doorposts like it was the Passover and the, the angel of death was going to come and, and steal their livelihoods. And that's kind of what happened. I had some friends get had they had to redo all of their food for their wedding and rehearsal dinner because the restaurant went out of business like that and they didn't know what to do and so i watched my city get burned and i watched my city get trashed and i watched my city struggle when blm rioters which is which i would say are different from the protests blocked a fire truck from saving a child in a burning building in Richmond, Virginia, that actually happened. People don't know that that happened, but it actually happened. There were tens, dozens of deaths. I don't know the exact number here, um, but it was more than ten. It was less than thirty, but more than ten deaths is more deaths than that should that then should happen. And so, I wanna Those are my thoughts on rioting. Rioting is bad. If the right does it, it's bad. If the left does it, it's bad. But now I'm getting lectured by those on the left saying, oh, well, this one is so much worse. It's a day that will live in infamy. Chuck Schumer uh, said that it was like Pearl Harbor, comparing it to other atrocities. Um, And that's just not the case. I see people on the left saying that the police went easy on them, the police were overwhelmed. The police presence could have been more. Definitely. Could have been more easily. Should have been more. Should have been a lot more. And I think Trump was wrong in not deploying the National Guard and not sticking to his guns there. Um he should have deployed the National Guard earlier. And I think it was his pride that kept him from doing that. And that was and that's dangerous. He should have deployed the National Guard. They should have tear gassed them and whatnot. But to say that the police went easy on them is wrong because a woman was shot. And killed by an unarmed woman was shot and killed by police in the capital. So don't tell me that the police went easy, or they would have done, they would have gone. Uh, if only if it was BLM, then more people would have gotten shot, or that there would there be so much bloodshed. No, there's bloodshed here. The police were just overwhelmed. They weren't expecting this. And then the police presence, as and once the National Guard was deployed, there was a heavy police presence. And then the right went home. They just went home. They didn't they didn't keep rioting through the night like BLM did. They didn't keep rioting for weeks. I don't think, I don't think this is going to continue tonight. I would be remiss if this is going to, if this continued tonight, and I don't think this is going to, this is going to be a, a regular thing. So the, the reaction to it is disgusting. It feels like, feels like the right is reacting to the left, and it feels like the right is currently, with these riots, scolding their child. It seems like the Republican Party is scolding their populist child, and that is the Trump supporter. And they're scolding them, but then there's this teacher next to them who's, which I would, which represents the left. So the left is telling, it's like a bad parent telling an okay parent how to parent their child after their child does something terrible. It's like, no, your child burned down an entire city. Uh, well, not an entire city, multiple cities. My city. And Minneapolis, and Baltimore, and New York, and D.C., and Atlanta, and I could go on. So don't don't lecture me. Like we're we're taking care of it. We're scolding our child. Nobody thinks this is a good good thing. This should not have happened. Nobody thinks that that this should have happened. But don't tell us how to parent our child. <laughs> it's a it, that's kind of what it feels like. If you like, I really do think that the radicals are. It is up to the the moderates on each party in each party to parent the radicals appropriately. And when the parents go a little bit off the rails, which is what I think happened with Trump, then the child also goes off the rails. And then when the child is bullied by the other side, it lashes out. And that's what happened. I think with the and and I would say that. A lot of the left's reaction comes from the right bullying it and saying, "Oh, you triggered. Are you, um, are you triggered? Is is that?" And all, all those triggering jokes. You soft little snowflake, liberal snowflake. That was not okay by the right. And then the orange man bad jokes, which would not stop from the left establishment and the late night hosts and the elite and. The people who have BLM in their in their bio and the people who uh, claim to be so much better than the others, so then the right lashed out. They're both lashing out because the other the other side is being childish, and it's up to the moderates to parent them. So I don't think I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. Um, unfortunately, I I think that the riots, the right wing riots, will go away. And I think we're going to unify and like, yeah, this was a bad thing. But I don't think, I think the left is going to take it a little bit farther, a little bit farther. Because political violence begets political violence. I like what Lindsey Graham said. He said, I didn't agree with the court cases, but I'm okay with them. And they heard it out. And then they said, nope, I agree with that. I don't necessarily agree with the court cases in, Philadelphia, or in uh, Pennsylvania and in Wisconsin. And in Georgia, but I'm fine with it. I'm okay. I'll live. I'll live under a Biden presidency. I'm fine. But we can't keep doing the political violence. It's, this cannot continue. And so I'm gonna use my tiny itty bitty voice to say that to say that to whoever listens to this. So kind of with that out of the way, I think the next thing we have to talk about is what I'm kind of here for. And I'm here to talk about politics and religion and talk about the um, role of Christianity in everyday life, um, in political life, that is. So let's think about this. There is a case to be made that Christians should leave politics for good. There's a good case to be made. I'm going to make that case. I I think that is a case that needs to be made and that we need to talk about. We need to discuss. Then I'm going to discuss why we can't leave politics. So I'm going to discuss why we should leave politics Then I'm going to discuss why we can't. Okay. So why should we leave politics? Well, first and foremost, we kind of saw it yesterday. People idolize politics. People idolize people. People idolize Trump. They idolize the party. And Christians have fallen into that. They say, There are so many people there saying, I I support Trump and I'm a Christian and then they went and rioted and took over the and went inside and, and disrespected offices and just weren't didn't weren't good examples of Christ. And I don't think that's right. I think people are too prone to idolizing the things of this world and that's that's something that they're idolizing that's obviously something that christians are idolizing today i know i can even see it in people like stephen crowder who i disclaimer i don't have anything against stephen crowder i think he's he can be funny not all of his jokes are funny i think a lot of his jokes kind of miss and he kind of throws it all at the dartboard and see what sees what sticks I think that's interesting. It works for him. He did good coverage on election fraud. Um, I think he was like the only one who covered it well. And I don't think that he's fair all the time. In fact, I think he's unfair a lot of the time. But he's also biased and he's open about his bias. He was a Christian. He is a Christian. He's being sanctified. The Lord is working on his heart. However, I don't... I think he needs a pastor. And I think he needs to look at his heart a little bit deeper and kind of see what's what's going on what's there um and again i'm I haven't looked at his heart but and I know he has good Christians around him i know gerald is i think that's his name um Gerald is a christian and he's a a solid one um but I think Stephen needs to kind of it down a little bit, take a little look at his heart, see where his loves are, see if his loves are out of order, which is a very Augustinian idea. Is his is his heart not going to to Christ, or is he getting more people to his ideology than he is to Christ? Because I think that's a that's a good indicator. Now, with Stephen Crowder, of the way, I think again Crowder, nothing against him, would love to talk to him, would love to to chat with him. I'm going to—but I'm going to call it how it is. I'm going to see how I—call it how I see it. Um, so I think he's idolized that, and I think he helps people idolize politics, and he gets people fired up and angry. And I don't think that's what Christians should be doing right now. And I think the more that Christians do that, and the more that Christians go down that road, the more we lose, the more we don't— um the more we lose hearts, the more we, we, we fail to win over minds, and the more we play into people's expectation and speculation of what Christians are. And that's hypocritical. So our second, the second thing, we're called to um, we're called to a greater kingdom. And so we don't need to worry about earthly kingdoms. As Christians, Mal- Malcolm Muggard said this, as Christians, we know that we are here and we have no continuing city. That crowns roll in the dust, and every earthly kingdom must sometime flounder. Whereas we acknowledge a king, we acknowledge Christians acknowledge a king men did not crown, and that men cannot dethrone. We are citizens of a city of God that they did not build. They being the world, they did not build and cannot destroy. The world cannot destroy this kingdom. So why should we be in politics when you know the, it's it's going to go anyway? And not, not only is it going to go, anyway, but no matter what political sphere, Christians can make headway. In China, we see this. We, we see the authoritarian left take over China. And Christianity's thriving. The underground church there is doing great. The average, now most, the most tolerant countries are, are Western countries, but the average Christian these days is non-white and non-Western. They don't look like me. The average Christian doesn't look like me. The average Christian looks like um, a Middle Eastern, a hind, uh, looks like a Hindu from India, looks like a Chinese person from the, the middle of China, and that's the average Christian these days. It's not not just white dudes like me. It's not us. It's not It's not the United States. So God's working in other parts of the world where government is not doing great where the government isn't doing, isn't just, the government isn't doing what we're doing, isn't on the level that Christian nations are. When I say Christian nations, we'll get into that, but I'll get into that in a different episode. But we don't have to worry about it. And so why should we worry about it? Why should we overwhelm ourselves with worry about earthly systems that are going to die out anyway? We shouldn't. And so the third, the third point that I want to make, why Christians should leave politics is that it is inherently self edifying. It does not uh, foster humility. It does not foster a culture of humility. And it is not a humble thing. Because in order to get a job in politics, you got to say, I'm better than that guy. Uh, you should vote for me because he sucks. You should vote for me because that guy's the worst and their party's out to get you and they hate you. That's not what we're called to. That's not what Christians are called to. We're not called to degrade our opponent for our own gain. We're not called to lie about our opponent for our own gain or twist their words or be dishonest. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. Do not deceive. So then why should we participate in that? We shouldn't. Christians should not partake in that, in that peace. We should be able to speak our minds and speak the, speak the gospel without degrading or demonizing anyone else. And the fourth point, I think, is, which is why Christians genuinely should get out of out of politics, is that we don't want a theocracy. Christianity is not a primarily political religion. It's an arbitrarily political religion. It has um, it has ways in which we can, and we'll get into that later, but we are not inherently political. Jesus didn't come in to um, take over political systems. The Pharisees thought they he would, but he didn't overtake he didn't overthrow rome he wasn't a political king he was a spiritual king he was a the ultimate king he was everything he can make our lives better he came to save us and he came to in uh to implement his kingdom but it's not a political one and so we don't want a theocracy christians cannot turn into a theocracy and it that's by the way, this is true for secular reasons, as it is religious reasons. Obviously, secular people do not want a theocracy. If you do not believe in God, you don't want Christians ruling. You don't believe in what they believe. You 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 want to live by your own standards. But also, we don't want a theocracy because we don't want secular people to use religion and to lie about their faith in order to gain power. Because people are going to gain power no matter what. People are going to go for power... No matter what system is is here, unless they have, unless they have found true joy in Jesus, they're gonna they're gonna keep going for power. So why would we let them corrupt our church? We saw it e- easily in the 1500s. Theocracy is a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. We don't want to partake in that. We don't want it to destroy both both the government and the church. You destroy everything by with the theocracy. So we don't. So then we should leave because. We don't, we're not interested in building a theocracy, so what else, are, what else are we here for? Why else would we want a political system with a lot of Christians in it, if not for a theocracy? But we don't want a theocracy, so we should leave. Um, don't want a theocracy, and although politics is inherently self-edifying, and all of those reasons are true, although it's all true, I'm going to tell you why we can't just ignore politics. It's impossible. And I kind of want to use the story of Jonah to to illustrate it. There's, if you know the story of Jonah, Jonah was a prophet who was called to Nineveh, which is huge, big city, very worldly, not very, um, they didn't believe in in the God of Israel at all. And so Jonah went, was was called to that, and he said, No, thank you. I don't want to die. And also, I don't want to, I don't want, he also was a racist and didn't want, to didn't want god to save those people because he knew that god had the power to and he knew that god would use him to and he believed in him and he believed in the power to save those people so he said look even if i i succeed i don't want to succeed because i don't want you to to keep them alive because they're unjust they are i want you to smite them because they engage. They are violent. They engage in child sacrifice. They are doing all of these. Atro- they're committing all these atrocities in order that they would gain power. So I don't want that. And so he left. He went to Tarsus, uh, which is in Spain, which is not near there. The opposite direction. Uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, when he was on sail. He was sailing with similar pagans to the one. This is the kind of the subplot. The subplot is that he was sailing with pagans just like the ones he didn't want to save, and he ended up dying for them. But while the, while the winds and waves were crashing and the pagans were so scared, he was asleep below deck. He was ignoring it because he didn't understand what God was wanting from him. He didn't understand that the reason that God put him on a boat with pagans, which he would end up dying for, essentially, is so that God would take him by the nape of the neck and say, You are here for these people. I don't care that you don't like it. I'm God. And you're here for these people, and I love them just as much as you. And he didn't want to hear it because he was a Jew. So he was the chosen one. So he was asleep below deck. And the captain came to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The captain is rebuking Jonah, just like the world rebukes the church. You see, as Christians, we're called not only to a life of purity for ourselves and a life of pursuit to God for ourselves, we're taking people with us. So when you're asleep below deck to the world's problems, the world's problems are God's problems. And God is the impoverished man. He says that in Matthew. He says, When you where were you when you saw me hungry? Why didn't you give me food? Why didn't you clothe me when you saw me naked? And he'll say that to the to the non Christians, and they'll say, Where did we see you? And he said and he'll say, I am the poor man. That that is the I'm the homeless man on the side of the road. I am the man who needs food. So why didn't you give it to me? And so Christians are called to not be asleep below deck to those problems. So the problems of the world, there are a few of them. That's an understatement. But problems of the world, things like 850,000 fetuses aborted every year, that's a problem. And Christians say that that's a life. So if you believe that it's a life, why aren't you rioting in the streets? That's a legitimate reason to riot, by the way, is infanticide. Because if infanticide is not a reason to riot, I don't know what is. So why aren't we in the streets? Why aren't we protesting every single day until we get that overturned? Because we idolize our middle class lives. And we're asleep below deck. Why is it that? Because we're asleep below deck. We don't want to mess up our middle class lives. We'd rather the government take care of it. We'd rather, which I'll talk about uh, in another episode the, the solutions to poverty, the government solutions to poverty, but they're, we're asleep below deck and we don't care because we want our, our cushy middle class life and we want to give money to the poor and feel like we did a good thing. and we want to get to the pearly gates of heaven and have God give us a pat on the head for not doing much, which he will because that's how gracious he is. But we're, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to entangle our lives with the poor and pursue justice no matter what. And so we'd rather other people do it. So we just give money to it. You're asleep below deck. So we can't. We absolutely cannot just leave politics to, to the others because God cares about the people. and God cares about politics. I cannot believe the gentleness of God. I cannot believe the gentleness of God that, that he has for us because when our lives are so downtrodden, just like Jonah, when we're asleep below deck, God is still gentle with us. He's still loving with us. And that's incredible for me. That's incredible to me because we don't pro- we don't attempt to prosper the city. we're just like, all right, you know we're just gonna leave it. I like my life but that leads us into our second point is that we are called to prosper the city. The first point we cannot be the sleep below deck the second point we're called to prosper the city in Jeremiah this is what the Bible says. This is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those I carried out of exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they also may have sons and daughters and increase their number there. Do not decrease. Here's the crucial part. Also seek peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So we're called to not only trust God but prosper the city because we're currently in a city that we don't that is not our primary belonging just like the Israelites we're kind of in the desert but we pray for the city we seek peace and prosperity of the city for which he has carried us into and i pray for it to prosper because if it prospers we will prosper so we're called, that's a, that's like that's so obvious to me that if we can prosper the city through politics and we can use the systems for good to help people, and to allow the church, allow the church to help, that's a good thing. And that's something we care about. That's something we need to care about. That's something we're called to care about. Thirdly, in America, we build institutions and organizations to help others, but we're starting to enter a time where we might have to start fighting for that ability. The church is under attack. Definitely. There's no question about it. We can be tax exempt, which saves us money. But what if that changes? What if that goes away? That's a huge threat, by the way is us saying something, the pastor saying something, and then losing its tax exemption status. Imagine a pastor says something about its beliefs on gay marriage, its beliefs on masks, its beliefs on gathering, its belief on the coronavirus uh, response, and then they get a a letter in the mail. You've lost your tax exemption status. That's a real threat. Because they they won't shut you down. They They won't do that, but they'll... They can, revoke, they can technically revoke your tax, tax exemption status. That's a big threat. That's a threat that I see on the horizon. The COVID-19 response has proven that they can arbitrarily take away our right to, to assemble and to, to take us out of our place of meeting. They can just do it. They can just say, you know what? It's dangerous. We don't want you there. And then, poof, we're gone. Now, there's limits on that, obviously. And luckily, our Constitution does protect, a, protect us from the really arbitrary. But they can do it. They can tell us you know you're not allowed to meet here because the virus is too dangerous and that's a that's a real threat and also big tech the media and the uh, and YouTube and Facebook have been really good to Christians people like Robbie Zacharias is thr- uh on YouTube even though he's passed away his videos still get a lot of views there's one um one pastor Mike Winger from the Bible Thinker who talks a lot about bad theology, bad ideology, and there's a lot of other pastors. They're all doing great. What happens when YouTube says, you know, you're not allowed to to speak against some of the social issues. Huh? You're not allowed to talk about uh, transgender, transgenderism. You know, you're not allowed to talk about X. Insert whatever X is. You're not allowed to impose your your beliefs here. What happens then? They're a private company. They can do that. They can do whatever they want, unless we take away their uh, their Section two thirteen protections. But they can demonetize, take away people like Mike Wingers, take away Mike Wingers' channel. They can do a lot of things, just arbitrarily, just because they don't like what they what, what they what you say. And so that's that's a huge threat. You, we can debate about the likelihood of it, because right now I don't think it's super likely. But give it five, 10 years, I that might change. But that's a political issue. Abortion is a political issue. It's a legality problem. COVID-19 is a political issue. Tax status is a political issue. And we need to care about that. Martin Luther King Jr. did not stay asleep below below deck. He got his faith out there where it can do some real good. And it did a lot of real good. And he was the most influential man in the 20th century in America. He did a lot of good because he didn't stay asleep below deck. And that's what we're called to do. So why, what do we do with that? So if Jesus wouldn't be a socialist or a Republican or a Democrat, what should we do about it? Where do we align? Well, first of all, we have to align first and foremost with our Christian brothers and sisters because our unity in Christ is above all. If there's a Democrat and they're Christian, I call them my brother more than I call anyone who is just arbitrarily on the right and an atheist or an agnostic not a Christian, I call I call that Democrat my brother more than any more than any of the others. The other thing is that we have to look at, we can disagree because we can look at the data and say, you know, I think this will prosper the city, or, you know, I think this will prosper the city. But as long as that's our goal, we're good. And we can talk about it, and we can fight about it, and we can uh, discuss it knowing that we have something greater beyond. Discuss what's going to work and what's not going to work. I lean right because I see... The seeds of a toxic ideology forming on the left, intersectionalism, is a it's a virus. It's a cancer. I think that the the Marxism that's arising on the left in academia and in other places is a cancer. It's going to end up really badly. And so I can't I can't be a part of that. I think cancel culture is inherently unChristian. I can't be a part of that. I think uh, Raphael Warnock, who just was just elected. To the U.S. Senate, who believes in uh, a black theology, where he basically idolizes a different part of your identity that is not in Christ. I can't believe that. I can't believe in that. I can't agree with that. But he's he a Christian. But I don't think that that ideology is is a Christian ideology. But it's coming up in the left, and obviously a lot of a lot of people like it. But these ideologies are toxic, and so I can't be a part of it now. The right has its problems. I think the right has a problem with... People People give the right crap for allowing racists to speak. I don't give the right as much crap for that, not because I want racists to speak, but because I think that we should be friends with everybody. I think that we should be pursuing people like the black Israelites. I think we should be pursuing people like Antifa as friends. And I think we should be pursuing people in the KKK as friends. I don't think we should look down upon them because that their same brokenness is in us. We shouldn't be looking down upon those other people and say that they're the problem when that same problem isn't us. If you don't have Jesus and you're and you hate bigotry, that's as far as you're gonna get. You're not gonna change anyone's mind. You're not gonna help the bigots. You're just gonna hate bigotry. And that's not enough to fix the problem. That's not enough to help anybody. You have to pursue these people. I tried pursuing the black Israelites. Would not recommend that if you're white. They did not like me. Um, they, because they idolize, they idolize their blackness, and I think that's silly. And I, I want, I really want to make friends with them, but they don't trust white people, which is wrong, because they, they say that they believe in the God of Israel. But I want to be their friends, and I'm going to keep pursuing that. I'm going to keep fighting hard, but at some point, I don't want to lose my life because I have a lot of other things to do, and I have a lot of other people to pursue. But I, I'm, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to keep doing my best. I think it's hard to, for Christians because we, we have to align ourselves with the least of these. And so that's it's going to be end up being the racists. It's going to end up being the bigots. It's going to end up being Antifa. It's going to end up being the anti-racists. It's going to end up being all of these. And so we're going to end up getting a lot of slack for it. But I think it's time. It's time for us to go for it and really go for it and really be friends with these people and really pursue them because that's the only way we're going to do. We're going to win that. It's why we must stay in politics. It's why we can't just leave it to them, leave it to the world, leave it to the world system. We have to stand up for it. We have to stand up for a just society. God created the world. And if God created the universe in peace and for peace and for shalom, then there's real justice. You get a, fr- you actually get a framework for justice. I don't trust people to, um, to make a world of justice. So we have to, we have to step in, and put our faith out there where it can do some real good, and really, really experience Jesus by helping others. Thank you guys for listening to this first podcast. I am really excited to get this out there. I want to thank Ben Rowland for the music. He's a good friend of mine he's trying to get his name out there the best thing you can do for me is to share it and leave a review um, and talk about it and yeah just do those things for me that'd be awesome that'd, be, that'd make me feel good i feel good about that thank you guys for listening all the way through and be in christ let christ use your politics let christ use your faith And use your faith in every sphere, political, non-political. Pursue those on the outside. Pursue those on the outskirts. And I'll see you again later. Thanks.